Start a show, eh, right, guys? It's always so good. Oh, that was bright and wow. bubbly. That was very bright. Yeah, it's and Nick bubbly. Danter. <laughs> so, man, mental health show, and um, you're with your host, uh, Bradley Spillane. Uh, as I said, Nick Danter over there on the on the tunes, and um, on on the backing vocals today we had uh, <laughs> we had Bodie Marsden, psychotherapist, our regular, and uh, also our guest. Today, Blue Phillips, who uh, was also playing percussion throughout that uh, beautiful tune. Welcome, Blue. Thank you. Um, just come forward if you can, just so I can get you a cheers. Um, look, uh, I just want to say uh, it's been a, a great weekend. We had the... I'm a little bit <clears throat> hoarse. Yeah. I, uh, I, I went to Shannon Evans' yeah. uh, night out, and then I, I planned to go home, but I said to one of the guys, look, I'll drive you guys home. You guys stay out, because I wasn't drinking. 
And uh, it, it ended up being the worst decision of my life because, you know, they kept saying, you sure you want to stay? Oh, yeah, it's okay, it's okay. Yeah. Um, and of course, we're in a nightclub and they can't hear. And so I have to yell and, and it's outside and he's smoking, but it's sort of enclosed but not. So anyway, uh, that's why I've got no voice. I ended up driving home, I think, at 5 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I got yeah. in at 6.30. I don't, I don't remember getting in at that time since... Stuff that sounds like a good idea at the time. That's right. Yeah, it always. Mate of mine was in my mid twenties. He sent me a, a birthday card, and it was in that you know kind of bullshit German. <laughs> and anyway, oh, yeah. the, the, the guts that I remember was, uh, and it was in like I said this bullshit German. But it says the problem with life is, boy, we get too soon alt and too late smart. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like that. Too soon yeah. alt. That's good. <laughs> that is very good. That's so true. Brad was going to play Babington the next day. I think it was just an excuse to sort of pike on it, you know. The, oh, mate, it was running, that. I was <laughs> running around the court. Yeah. And, I would have, but not today. I'm busy now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it was also, too, it was, uh, I had to then get up to – I thought it was that or I could let the team down up there at uh, the, the walk and talk Yeah. Um, and, and the barbecue pack-up that we have here at the station outside Big W at Woolworths. And uh, – so as it turned out, I ended up letting two people down instead of, um, instead of one. So I did the walk and talk, but the walk and talk went a little bit longer than it was supposed to. So I sort of chased my tail back here and uh, I got back and the barbecue was already packed up. So when that happens, it means hopefully they sold too many sausages. Okay. Yeah, yeah, cool. I had no snags left, so um, that could be a good thing. Otherwise, I'm going to find out sooner or later I might be in trouble. Um, so uh, just uh, yeah, before we sort of get into the swing of things, uh, a quick mention to to the sponsors uh, of the men's mental health show, and that is uh, Mounties Group, of course, my good mate Dale down there. Thanks as always, mate, and uh, Noel Noel Pope. Um, I still believe he's out in high seas, uh, one of the few that's um, I guess gaining the courage to go on a ship at the moment. Sure, um, Corona, but I think uh, it's fine, you know, if you're not in the Western Pacific. Um, I just I heard on the radio, geez, I tell you what, this virus is taking control of the world, really, isn't it? I mean, I mean, for me, it's just the fear of you know media. I mean, because these these things are in the world anyway, really, aren't they? You know, but these the new James Bond movie, you know, they're not going out there to promote the film. All the cinemas in China closed down, you know, so you can imagine that impact that it's having on many, many businesses over there, not just um, <clears throat> in the movie industry, of course, but mm. all the shipping and, and everything else. I think Anyhow, uh, there's, a, there's always a bright light, isn't there? I read the other day that this enterprising Aussie uh, uh, ordered two bottles of Pinot Noir by drone and had it delivered to his cabin. <laughs> Did he so get, maybe uh, you know, there'll, be a, there'll be a rise in the use of drones <laughs> in Japan. <laughs> always one of those things where somebody will think, oh, why the bloody hell did I think of it? <laughs> You just imagine it, can't you? <laughs> oh, no, wrong year, sorry. Send it back. <laughs> That's a terrific thing oh, to that have. That's pretty good. Yeah, I was going to um, say, actually, just on that, uh, my mate uh, Shannon, who's, uh, you know, he's a big uh, fan of the show, and he's, um, he, he, he was the accolade of the Northern Beaches Australian of the Year, mm. but um, he's created all these walk and talks uh, across the state. I think it's up to 21 now. Um, so it was his night on, for his birthday on, on Saturday night. So um, I, I put him in touch. I said, Jamie came on the show, I think it was a week, Jamie Gray, about a week or two afterwards. I said, you, you have to meet this guy, Shannon Nevin. You two are going to hit it like a house on fire. So as it turned out, 
Jamie, because Jamie flies drones and does photography, all sorts of things. He's called Jamie and he said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to propose to my girlfriend. So he's got her down the end of the beach. He's put her, he's put her, uh, you know, uh, the ring uh, on the drone and he said, let's go for a walk on the beach and this drone's coming towards him. She said, what's that? He says, I don't know, you know. It was just good you know, for everyone to see, so. which is Shannon, you know, he's got like a public life, he wants everyone to see it, he loves it. And he's a good-looking rooster as well, so he doesn't mind it, you know, it's good. Mm. So uh, congratulations, I forgot to mention that. Um, yeah, it was just uh, one of my clients uh, does the walk and talk uh, down at uh, Penrith uh, on a Thursday night, and he loves it. Mm. Um, you know, so yeah. Shannon's had a huge ripple effect yeah. uh, with that idea. Um, so uh, just a shout out to Shannon, mm. uh, you know, for that uh, initiative that he took up. Yeah, absolutely. I think they've had to, which is quite uh, a shame, really. They've had to uh, change their route or do something or rather down there because of. Uh, uh, council said you can't have this without a license or a certificate. Oh, okay. It was, it, you know, I mean, really, mm -hmm. can you believe it? No. Um, well, <coughs> yeah. So um, I, I'm pretty sure if it's up and running again, or, yeah. It's, um, mm. But they, I, I believe there was some people there that had influence in the community, and they've um, revised it in some way. Okay. Uh, but it's, it, from what I know, I'm not, I'm not overly sure. But it is, it was enormous, the one down there at Penrith. Yeah, and and also too to uh, Andrew Wilson, he's got the uh, men's walk and talk that he does. It's it's had an add-on effect to that. It's not associated, of course, with Shannon's bumblebee, bright, you know, the okay. yellow and black. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that's here in Lawson, or in the mountains, um, mm. on a Thursday night. So let's get the show underway, eh? Blue, thanks so much, mate. I've, I'll be honest, I've really been looking forward to this. I've heard, I guess. You've uh, touched so many people across the mountains because a lot of people I know, and I've only been here a short um, period of time, really four years, know you. Um, and they've told me, you, you know, such a, a great character that you are. And, you know, it just <laughs> a short couple of minutes you've been here. I think we're going to be in for a good ride. Mm, nice one. Yeah, I, I like that. I was going to say that, that point about, you know, there's always some subsidiary benefit that'll come from a surprise quarter. If you think about, you know, the men's walk and talk program, uh, apart from anything else, then it, you know, should put the women's criticism to rest that blokes can actually do two things at once. <laughs> if it's a walk and talk program, well, there you go, mate. That's exactly, that's exactly what the local member of parliament said to me the other day yeah. on Sunday. <laughs> Yeah. That I'm a man doing a man's mouth. Well, it's two things at once. Yeah, so <laughs> Thanks, Susan. <laughs> now we've just got to get our women folk to believe just how bad man flu is, mate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a man flu on the couch is a man drinking a Corona. <laughs> anyway. <Very> funny. <coughs> so, yes. Blue, um, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up, first of all? I, I grew up in Adelaide. Um, we, uh, we uh, moved around a bit and went to various places and I was uh, going to uh, high school in, uh, in, in Brisbane uh, at the time and um, I joined the, uh, the Army cadets up there at uh, Corinda State High School and I thought, how good would this be? I had so much fun and I just couldn't wait to turn 17. So at the tender age of 17 and five days old, I, uh, I joined the Army and just had such a... A fantastic time, and uh, you know, I finished up staying with it, and I only got out in uh, 
31st of December 2016, so I did... You're uh, joking. I, did, I didn't know that. Yeah, mm. 50 years and four months, so anyone that's, you know, listening in that's thinking about a career in the Army, you know, it's the last four months were the hardest. You know, yeah. 50 years was easy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I've done a, done, a, done a rage of things in that time and, and uh, yeah, really, really loved it. And uh, for uh, part of that time, probably about the last 30 years... Uh, uh, got involved in what we call in the ADF adventurous training, adventure training, and that became my niche and just had such a wonderful time with that and was able to, uh, you know, inspire and motivate and mentor people and and uh, I really got into the, you know, the um, the debriefing and the, you know, the sort of facilitation space um, as a direct result of that and I've found that to be, you know, such a uh, measurable boon, not only in my life, but I've been able to influence and help many, many uh, uh, other people and particularly in the ADF, you know, once we got involved in Timor and, you know, Rwanda and, um, mm. you know, Iran and Afghanistan and, you know, I was able to work programs with blokes because uh, I was working at the Army um, uh, Adventure Training Centre which is now based at Wagga when I commanded the place 94-95. It was at Bonagilla on the Victoria-New South Wales border but um, it was so good to be able to help the blokes who were coming back from... Uh, Iran and Afghanistan and, you know, most mm. of those people had already done time in places like Timor and Rwanda and mm. Cambodia and, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, like the army psychs might have an appointment with the bloke and say, oh, hey, you're travelling, mate, to which a soldier will invariably respond, yeah, yeah, I'm cool, I'm cool. Mm. And, you know, they're not. So I learnt to, you know, sort of get behind that blokey bullshit and sort of mm. cut that away and, and just, uh, you know, by a process of observation and just watching them, particularly with what we did and what we do with adventurous training is, um, you know, um, put them under deliberate pressure and just see how they respond. You know, mm. I was involved for years with the development programs at the Royal Military College at Duntroon and, uh, and uh, with ADFA and, you know, adventure training, putting people under stress to see how they perform as both, um, you know, individuals and in groups. Uh, you know, uh, you can't hide your character mm. in that field. And I, I just say to these blokes, you know, this is a, uh, the, uh, the, you know, the men and women, this is a, you know, you won't get many chances in your career to have, a, to have a free shot at yourself, to have a look at yourself and just think, you know, what kind of officer am I going to be? Am I going to be a yeller and a screamer or, you know, or am I going to be able to uplift and, you know, uh, mentor people and particularly with that, how am I going to hold people together when they're under stress and pressure and people look at me for uh, mm. an answer where, you know, there really is no answer. And, and I'd often quote that, um, you know, there's a fantastic uh, segment in a, in a Tom Hanks movie where uh, I think it's Saving Private Ryan, Ryan mm. and it's all gone to hell in a handbasket. You know, mm. we have a saying in the army that, you know, the plan goes out the window the second you cross the start line, mm. you know, so mm. there really is no plan. Mm. And, uh, you know, stuff's going down left, right and centre, but they still turn to the, you know, the young lieutenant who's still, you know, wet behind the ears and they say, what do we do now, sir? Yeah. And, you know, he's just, well, let's just keep going up the hill and mm -hmm. take the position that we've been assigned to take, you know. And it's interesting because everybody knows that there is no answer, but they will still go to, that person, you know, the leadership within the group and, yeah, and, they, and they talk seek about that direction. As, um, the flock response where sort of... The sheep, when they get scared, they'll all look to whoever's leading the flock yeah, to yeah. work out what to do, yeah. what to do next. And yeah, 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 yeah. so, so you know, yeah. mm. leadership mm. will always prevail, but it won't necessarily come from where it's meant to come from. Mm. You know, yeah. if people are under you know real pressure for their life, and they think that someone's got the answer to help them. 
then they'll follow that person yep. and that may be the person that's got you know no rank and I've actually seen and I've, I've set up some uh, uh, tremendous um, you know uh, opportunities for that kind of stuff to shine through adventurous training mm. we were on a river one time and it was just in flood just at the safe level and um, uh, a mate of mine rung me on the Sunday night before the program was launched and we were discussing should we do it shouldn't we do it yeah yeah, yeah let's do it you know it was just at the you know the authorised level to do it a little bit more water would have been off, a little bit under, you know, would have been uh, probably not quite so exciting. So my mate and I decided <laughs> to do it. And uh, my mate Woody rings me on the night before this program was to launch, you know, and he says, Boo, I've just about near cut my thumb off, you know, erecting a home, a backyard shed. Oh, no. So anyway, uh, it was either call the program off, so I rang a civvy mate of mine who was a professional guide who'd guided in Africa and in Asia and, you know, it was a bit of a legend amongst rafting circles. So I got him involved and we were able to pay him. Being a cut long story short, we're about day four into the program. We did this culminating descent of a massive river in the Victorian Alps, and uh, we're about to go across um, the river that was almost in flood. And you had to pull over on the right hand bank and get everybody off, or they'd get sucked down this hole. It's like a hole in the rock, and it's mm. extremely dangerous. So the civvy companies um, weren't allowed to guide this thing. So you know, we're ADF, we're special, we can do it. We know boats. And uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, this uh, professional guide, his name was Nick, by the way, and um, he said, you know, like, like this blue, and oh, I was never been so frightened in my life and my heart was in my mouth and I'm just bloody crapping razor blades. And um, he, went, he went halfway across the river and flipped and all his crew just went in the river everywhere and it was untidy and there's ropes everywhere and anyway, they all lived. And, of course, you can imagine the morale of my group, you know, there on the bank. So I've just come back from observing, you know, this and watching what Nick was doing, the professional guide, and I thought, shit, someone's going to die today. You know, mm. if a pro does that, then, you know, all bets are off. And anyway, so I'm actually down at the river watching everything, you know, with minute interest. And there's a mutiny taking place over my left shoulder. Some of the lokes would just grab their gear and grab their paddle and they were just, like, going bush, like, as you say, you know, they were... Uh, the only thing I can do to live through this is just not be here. So they were taken off. And there was a very quiet, young, 19-year-old, full-blood Aboriginal girl in my boat who didn't say boo for the whole trip and it, oh, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. She just got these blokes together while I was approaching and I actually stopped because I thought, she's got this. And she just said, look, we've got to trust Blue. You know, so what is a civvy guide, you know? Um, we've just got to be able to, you know, put our life in Blue's hands. He's looked after us for this four days and, you know, get your asses back on this boat, you know? And uh, let's just show this civvy guide, you know, what we can do as a five, you know, six-person team. And I just, I, you know, very close to tearing up. Anyway, we got back on the boat and I said, well, you heard her. Let's you just can't go. Teach and, that, you know, when I call back paddle, you know, back paddle like your life depends on it because you know what? It actually does this time. Yeah. Anyway, we got across and just it was like biblical, you know, and mm-hmm. I called the back paddle, which is the only thing you can take the speed off the river. And this thing just dug in like it had an outboard motor in reverse, backed up, went across the stream, across the current and just nudged the right-hand bank as soft as you can imagine and we all got out and we all just hugged this girl and she was just inspirational. And you see, the thing is, one of the things I love about adventurous training and being able to put people in that position is that it's not like a, you know, like a range practice where, you know, you've got the flags up and it's all firing and everything else and if it gets a bit windy or a bit wet and rainy you can just, you know, lower the red flag and stop and all get back in the vehicle and go back to barracks and clean the rifles and 
the exercise is over. When you commit to something where your life's genuinely at risk and you're, you know, um, halfway down a remote river in the Alps, there is no off button. No. You get yourself in that situation and it's, um, you know, real leadership um, and guidance wherever it comes from, and in mm. this case from a very quiet, shy, full-blooded mm. 19-year-old Aboriginal girl mm. that, um, you know, really displayed that guts and strength and leadership and I just came in on the top of that, sat on the back of the boat as the inverted commas, the guide, and, uh, you know, we all got through that. But I've never forgotten just, you know, um, the power of allowing individuals to shine in an environment where, you know, back in the office, because we worked in Army Headquarters in Canberra, she could have spent 15 years and never shown never anything like that promise. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a pretty remarkable, um, you know, life to be able to experience that kind of stuff. And, of course, every time you go out... You know, you learn just that much more about group dynamics and individuals and what makes them tick. It, you know, before you actually mentioned her and, and you talk about the dynamics then, I was going to say something which is completely relates to exactly that this young uh, Indigenous girl did and that is um, that you, when you went into the field and, and, and you, you, know, you chose to train these people and, and being as heavy as you say... Um, you learn to, you know, pick up on those that can handle that pressure or that can't and, and who's going to be a yeller or a screamer. That's, that's something you can't really ingrain, uh, teach someone, is it? Ingrain into someone. Some of it. It's no. a natural... No, you can, you can actually guide people and there's, there's, there's no question like, you know, um, to this day when I work with, you know, the people that we, we trained at the Adventurous Training Wing and, and they still do... Um, when they, when they qualify in a range of disciplines, we call them Unit Adventurous Training Leaders, UATLs. And when I go out and, um, you know, work with those kind of people, and I still do a bit of it because I got mm. a, an ABN when I got out and I still, you know, busy myself in that space, um, I can tell just by what they say and what they do and how they do it, who mm. trained them. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Little characteristics yeah. kind of... Uh, kind of give them away yeah. and it's much the same thing at uh, RMC at Duntroon you know um, if you get someone that say artillery and you know he or she's a very you know charismatic and uh, you know a, a good leader and just has that kind of uh, you know that quality generally humour yeah. that Australians relate to um, then uh, you know you'll get the case where you know they get asked what, what corps they want to go into at the end of their training and you'll get 40 of them, I want to go to artillery, you know, yeah. I want to be like Jonesy. Yeah. So uh, uh, despite how technological we get in the ADF, you know, there, there's still a massive role for, um, you know, uh, leadership and, you know, mentorship and just, you know, being able to uh, guide people and, uh, you know, until we become fully robotic, that will, mm. that will always be the case. Mm. And, uh, like, I can go, you know, out in the field now with some of these people and I'll just listen to a debrief being conducted and, you know, it's straight out the Blue Phillips handbook. <laughs> and uh, I just think, I know where you got that from. Mate. And uh, so, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, yeah. it's a kind of a payback reward because it, I, I've you know, nice, been around it? a while and got so many stories that, mm. you know, everything that's in the manual and, the you know, the guide, I'll, I'll um, illustrate by... By means of a, you know a true story, yeah. and sometimes I might use a bit of license and hamper up a bit, but uh, you know generally you know in terms of things that 
can go badly wrong, and I've yeah. been involved in many expeditions that have gone badly wrong, yeah. which are, you know, fantastic learning opportunities. And then when things go spectacularly right, and so I say, you know, what we don't want to do is X, Y and Z. We really want to be doing A, B and C for the reasons like when I was doing this there and, you know, just... Um, it's interesting because people have told me, you know, 10, 15, 25 years later that they don't remember the actual lesson but they remember the story. Mm. When they remember the story, they remember the bit of skill or even the sequence of knot or the coiling or, you know, rope bagging that leads to an outcome on the, you know, the, the beautiful Blue Mountains cliff and escarpment environment. When they remember the story, they remember that that was my hook to sell that particular lesson that can be, you know, um, is about exciting if you don't teach it properly as a, you know, a cup full of cold vomit. So you find something really interesting to get a story over and then they remember that and then by default they'll remember the boring lesson on, say, you know, rope coiling or something yeah. that, uh, yeah. you know, is Absolutely. really bloody dry as dust to teach. Yeah. I reckon cancel your Netflix uh, um, account, guys, and just, just get it. This, I'm just so captured by it. It's, you know, it's a... It's so, I don't know, it's, it's beautiful to yeah. hear the talk. It's, it's amazing. It's, I'm it, just, it is. I, I mean, I get goosebumps. I'm just, I'm, Good on it's you. wonderful. I was sort of thinking, you know, that uh, what I was enjoying is a man who, uh, Boo, who has had a lot of experience and um, this experience has taught him well, but the key thing is that he's been paying attention all his life to what's been happening around him. And from that... Um, he's a, there's a fund of stories and insight and wisdom um, that just rolls out and we've been bathed in um, that knowledge that he's got. And as a, an older man myself, um, watching someone age with such a degree of insight and the capacity to share that insight through the word um, and through story, um, that's a legend in, in the ageing process itself, apart mm. from what he knows. You know, I mean, it's, mm. uh, it, makes a, it makes the opportunity for older people to take seriously their eldership mm. um, really meaningful. So mm. I've been enjoying listening to your flow, mate. Mm. It's just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I, think, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And, and I was only sort of just saying that, you know, as, as younger people, we, I guess we sort of go or strive for, you know, the accolade or the top of that mountain. And, you know, it's only really in the last five years for me where I've, I've sort of found that giving back or giving and, and seeing what I put out and, and seeing that come back in return through, the, you know, of, of just, you know, the, of, of the art of gift itself is, is something very special, isn't it? Yeah. And as Blue says, that you can see it straight out of the, the Blue Phillips handbook. It must be a pretty nice feeling, I'd imagine. Yeah, you know, you get a lot back where environments where, you know, you don't expect, like I, I remember uh, um, for six years I was um, 2IC, second in command of the Defence Force Helicopter School in Fairburn and um, I was there for six straight years so, you know, often joked that the only way the Army could uh, get me out of there was to shut the school down and move it to Queensland. <laughs> so uh, that's subsequently what happened, so it moved to uh, Oakey near uh, Toowoomba. Anyway, so... Um, uh, I was responsible for organising this great event, uh, the Farewell to Fairburn, and um, yeah, it was a big thing, a big deal. So we had people come from all over Australia to, uh, you know, see off Fairburn as a helicopter training uh, institution. Mm. And a woman came up to me there and uh, shook my hand and she looked me in the eye and she said, Blue, you'll never know the influence you had on my husband and let me tell you that um, 
just with what you did and how you guided him. I sent him down for a course at, uh, at Wagga and, you know, sort of mentored him um, at the helicopter school for his, you know, first range of uh, uh, cross-country Nordic ski touring. He said, um, he will never tell you this, but, you know, you saved his life. Wow. I didn't know what he was going through at the time. And, um, you know, she uh, just gave me a great hug and said, you know, thanks for keeping Dave alive. Mm, mm, mm. <sighs> it's pretty powerful. Heavy stuff. Mm, mm. I've had many, many other, you know, uh, examples, uh, examples of that. You know, I picked up that one of our females who was going through one of the courses at Wagga, you know, it was just people give off signals and, mm. and I could see that mm. she was struggling with life. Anyway, about four weeks after the course, I just sent her, you know, one of those messages, you know, how are you travelling, mate? And I subsequently got invited to her, uh, her wedding um, up at Byron Bay and she said, Blue, you're uncanny, mate. You sent that message at the best possible time. And she said, I was at a T-junction in my life and I was about to do something really, really stupid and then mm-hmm. I get that message from you, how are you travelling? And she said, so I answered that and I said, well, you know, with what, you know, Blue's been through and what he's been able to do, you know, who am I to make, you know. Um, mm. I just had a, a, a new... Do- and I hear that kind of stuff all the time. And, you know, it's interesting. I also, like like Bodie said, I like to, I le- like to learn from other people, you know, like I... Um, played and enjoyed and I've been supporting, you know, the Essendon Football Club for years and the Aussie Rules Company. Oh, coach, coach for many years was oh, uh, like to have a bit Kevin of... Sheedy. And He's not too... He I, I've read, read, read all of Kevin Sheedy's books. You know, and Kevin's got this great philosophy, philosophy on life where he says, for everyone I talk to, even if it's in an elevator for two minutes, he said, you know, Kevin Sheedy has lived his life and he's living it, but this person I'm about to talk to... Um, have lived a, has lived a life that I haven't. What can I learn from this person? Mm. And I just think, what a fantastic way mm. to really switch on and plug in and actively listen to someone where your takeaway from what might be a three-minute conversation going from the third to the 17th floor somewhere of an inner city office in Melbourne is what can this person I'm talking to give me about their life that I don't yet know, which I just think is wonderful. And, you know, because my youngest son joined the army as well and he was posted to Richmond and he was, um, you know, just unofficially helping out with their Aussie rules team over there. And the CO said, um, mate, how would you like it if, you know, I could get you on a professional, you know, football coaching course so you're fully accredited to coach our team? And he said, yeah, yeah, let's do that. So he, he, he went to this course and uh, um, a bloke who was the, the coach of the Swans at the time he came out and he said, no, football, schmutball, who cares? He said, what you blokes have to remember is that you may well be the single um, positive role model in these young men's lives, you know, which is such a powerful thing to say. His name was Paul Roos and I, since then I've got great respect for the man and I just think, you know, he said, you know, the pigskin, put it through the sticks, who cares, you know, like treat them as human beings first and he said just remember that they will follow every little move and gesture that you make if you roll your eyes or give a little you know um surprise reaction to something that someone says they will take that on board you know they will take in every word you say they will watch every gesture and you know i heard that probably 10 years ago now you know again i've um 
I've tried to incorporate what you know Kevin Sheedy has said and what Paul Ruse has said, um, you know, uh, into the way I uh, deal with people. And my wife and I, some years ago, you know, we went to a recording of um, you know uh, Enough Rope with Andrew Denton, and he's famous for getting people to open up. And you know the way he does it, and I, I, I've actively used this, and you know, thanks very much for. Uh, you know, the wonderful bloke who's been able to inspire people. And he actually got asked to, you know, go and replace Michael Parkinson. I mean, what yeah. bloody accolade is that? Yeah. I mean, he didn't do <laughs> Special it. Special man. <clears throat> Even to be asked to go and do that is quite wonderful. Mm. His anyway, wife's an incredible lady too. His, so. his philosophy, and he'd always start off air by saying, and I always remember this, and I've used it in my army training for probably about the last 12 years at least. He'd ask this famously disarming question, you know, Life's tough, what gets you through it? How do you cope? You know, and that's Army um, Facilitation for Adventurous Training 101. You know, it's all about coping strategies, you know. Where are you in your life? What's in the toolbox? How are you going to get through life? And I think the admission that it's not easy, it's not easy for anyone. And, uh, you know, I reckon you could ask that question of the Governor-General, you could ask that question of a British labourer you might meet this afternoon on a building site in Katoomba and it would strike a chord with them because, you know, life's not easy and it throws you all kinds of curveballs and, you know, how have you got to where you are in life and how are these things in your toolbox going to get you through the rest of your life, you know? So it's no surprise that that bloke, you know, did so well on the ABC and he's still quite inspirational and I just think that, He's just, just pure genius, yeah, just, and I've I've stolen it. So thanks very much, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, just following on from what you're saying, Blue, what I'm always interested in with men is uh, so what are the updates to your toolkit? Because I think a lot of um, guys um, have some basic tools, but they're a bit too basic, um, and I think we we all need upgrades. Mm. And updates on our toolkit, mm. um, particularly when um, uh, in the new area of, of relationship, I think the um, the relationship world has changed significantly over the last um, 30, 30 years. And um, you know, a lot, a lot of us men have failed to understand that the relationship dynamic, or at least the truth for women, is about wanting parity and wanting um, to meet the other, um, the, the male partner, in a particular way. And this is one of the most interesting sort challenges relationally and I think that in that area of updates in terms of skills um, this is a rich and ripe area for men to to think about who I am and uh, what is it that I say and, uh, and there's, an, there's another angle I want to take um, that Blue has said is that we're all always role modeling so people are always paying attention to, to what we say and I was li- listening to um, this description that someone said if you've got nothing to say, you're better off not to say anything. But if you're going to say something, there's three things you've got to pay attention to. Is it kind? Is it true? And knowing that we're always subjective, that truth is always subjective, but is mm. it true? And is it helpful? Mm-hmm. And that, that's been that's sitting in my mind uh, you know, for the last month. Yeah. Um, and so even in my work as a psychotherapist, and I'm supposed to be well-trained, and well, I am, but um, is, it, is what I'm going to say kind? And what, the, what, what does that mean? It kind of means I'm not going to attack you, I'm not going to undermine you, I'm not going to diminish you. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and um, say something that offers you 
an opportunity for you to step up and step in. Yeah, yeah. so it's got to be kind. That's right. If I'm going to actually lacerate you, mm. um, the door's going to be shut. So, so that's for me. Is it true? Mm. Well, um, as much as we've, I've been paying attention to the conversation, my feedback has, um, is true to the conversation we've been having. And is it helpful? Well, that's always the operational question, isn't it? That's right. Is, is it helpful? Yeah. Does it lead to further insight? But I'm, I'm, I'm sort of keen on those things about men updating and going, yeah, maybe I do need to actually sort of kind of start reading more books. Uh, mm. that, uh, and we talk about, about that quite often, don't we, when, yeah, when you're on. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And just, just also following on from the uh, – so Brad and I are both manly supporters, so I have to bring Desi Hasley into the picture at this point. But, wrong um, coat. Wrong coat. Yeah. <laughs> wrong shape, ball. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> So he hey, was, football schmutball, mate. He, <laughs> so when he came back to Manly, he was so people were saying, "Look, what are you doing? That's getting the team back on track." And he he said, "It's nothing to do with the training stuff. It's about getting them to play for the community, and it's giving them the purpose that they're yeah. doing this for, and making those connections really strong. Yeah. And when they've got a purpose, they play a whole lot better, and it's uh, exactly a kind of idea." <laughs> Yeah. He used to, you know, you get 25,000 down there and, you know, manly, they're passionate. Look, all football clubs are passionate and, and as you say, it's, and, and, and you touch on it, it's kindness and, and it's something that I guess a lot, if not all, shows that we have, are, that's the key or the common ingredient is the kindness and the love. Um, but the feeling you get from it. Yeah, it's a, it's a great too, you know, and... Going back to, you know, bring it back to talk about real football that we invented in this country and not some pommy game. Don't we have to go to we, a break now, Brad? Is there not some pommy game that we stole. Um, people like Kevin Sheedy are a classic example, you know. He wasn't a brilliant um, footballer. The game didn't come naturally to him. And, uh, you know, he, he would train and practice and train and practice. And it's quite interesting. When you follow uh, some of the, the most successful coaches, um, they're not pretty much to a person. They're not multiple Brownlow winners. No. Because they are, they are people that can, um, you know, coach, like, for example, you know, if there was snow down in the mountains at the moment, I could take you down there and I could pretty effectively teach you to cross-country ski. But me personally, um, you know, I ski like a hairy-ass goat and you would very quickly, you know, reach my level of skill. But nonetheless, you know, um, I, I could teach you to ski and we could go on a five-day you know, expedition, and we'd get to the point where we're all kind of falling at the same time, me with you. But um, because I uh, struggled to to learn to ski, I, I picked up things that help people and have helped people massively with, yeah. you know, mastering those basic skills of cross-country skiing. So I think, <clears throat> you know, that actually does work. And we've, we've had people who have helped us instruct down at the Adventure Training Wing who are, you know, brilliant climbers and paddlers, but in terms of their instructional technique, it's more frustration for them that, you know, you're just not getting it. Yeah. And I'm yeah. thinking, well, that's because you're just not, not bloody instructing them properly, mate. You yeah. know? Not everybody can get out of bed and, you know, climb a grade 27 on site. They have to be coached and mentored mm. and, you know, um, like, you know, we're talking about, you know, given the, the tools in their toolbox so that they can... Um, they can start at, at lower grades and get the confidence and get the calls right and then before you know it, they are climbing well above their grade but, you know, just standing back with your arms folded, shaking your head, you know, again, one of those 
non-verbal communications that, you know, trainees pick up like it's a super sensitive sure, radar. Sure. Yeah. They just think, well, they're getting negative reinforcement. Mm. So I didn't say anything mm. and I say, mate, you didn't have to. Mm. You know, the message was picked up that you are, you know, climbing like a dunce. You're never going to get this. So, yeah. you know, you might as well give it up. And my approach is 100% the other way. Yeah. You know, that's fine. You know, I've got... Got a, a great mate that I, I mentored. She remains the first female to have commanded the Adventurous Training Wing, and uh, she's from Kenya. And the Kenyans have a great saying, you know, when they're faced with something in their life. And I remember this one too, and I've used that. Um, you know, if you've got something that seems insurmountable, she'd say, um, "How does a Kenyan eat an elephant? You know, lots of little bites. <laughs> lots of little bites. That's how you do it." So there's a good life lesson there too. Okay, you're listening to the Men's Mental Health Show. We're here, um, of course, with our uh, guest um, who's just, well, I think he's, he's got us all shocked. It's Blue Phillips. Um, we might go to a song now with Nick and um, we'll be back shortly. Okay, um, yeah, Blue, it's been great to, to hear your story. And I, I grew up in Canberra, just the other side of Duntroon, so I grew up in Campbell and... Um, yeah, it was nice hearing the places you were talking about. But also, did you mention Bonagilla? Yeah, yeah. So um, my dad came out from Lithuania and um, he went into an internment camp um, in Bonagilla when he first came yeah, to Australia. He's now called Dr. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, there you go. So I'll, um, <coughs> this is a song and Bodie, um, this is the song I attempted to play two weeks ago. Oh, but yes. I couldn't remember. Yes. So I practised it up. So um, oh, here we go. It's called, <laughs> it's called There's a River. dream that my dad died all day I carried that grief inside and even though it wasn't true my heart couldn't hear what my head knew in the evening I broke down and cried inconsolable like a child my lover held me Feeling it past There's a river that runs Through my dad and my son They share the same soft hands and heart I watch my boy while he sleeps He's tangled in some dream all of his days I see His life is still a mystery And I cry for the boy who's grown Still searching for a home And I'll cry for the day I wake To find that my dad's gone There's a river My dad and my son They share the same soft hands and heart There's a river that runs Through me and my dreams Now I understand I'm a man 
fantastic. Beautiful. You, Thank you. you know, um, um, you, you know, father and son themes, I just think they are um, enormously um, so, uh, so much a part of our, our sort of kind of history and not often talked about deeply, you know, the father hunger or the father son. And I had a, I had a father and son yesterday uh, in my practice and um, I won't go into too much detail, but uh, um, th- they've been having a bit of a struggle and, um, and, and the boy, uh, the mum is who's temporarily unavailable, um, so the boy is living with his dad. Um, uh, he said, uh, Dad, you, you, you know, we were fighting, but you, you wouldn't tuck me in um, when, it, when I had to go to bed. And, um, and to the father's great credit, he kind of got that, um, his, that his, his upsetness about the boy not doing the chores um, got in the way of him attending to his son and tucking him in because the mum wasn't around um, at that to, to actually do that tucking in. And, and it's just that simple gesture, but it meant so much to the... 13-year-old, and I, I think that your song brings um, uh, into focus um, just how tender that relationship is with fathers and sons. So thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah beautiful. I, I, um, <clears throat> I only have my son four, four times last year, I think so. Yeah. And, and those times that I have my son, and he's 12, um, I, you know, he, he comes into my bed. I mean, I, I don't know if that's that's right or wrong, but uh, there's not too many days or years left where that's going to yeah, yeah, stop. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm making the most yeah, of it. Absolutely. And I say to him, I say, mate, you want a couch? You have the couch. If, where do you want? He, no, mate, I'm staying right next to you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Beautiful. that's Beautiful. awesome. Yeah, that's a good mate of mine got, got married um, quite, quite, quite late in life. In fact, he put a great message out on one of the dating sites. He got you know sick of uh, getting mucked around, so he said, right, this is it. Uh, I want to get married. I want to be a dad. Um, I'm a great, uh, you know, active adventurer, so don't respond unless, A, you want to get married, B, he's an army officer, <laughs> B, you want kids straight away, and C, you're at least prepared to come out and come skiing or paddling or climbing with me, and uh, if you don't want to do all of those three, then, um, okay, I'll just uh, stay single and I'll be the best uncle I can to my uh, nieces and nephews, and uh, signed it off, and you know, within minutes he got a response back, yeah. and they've been happily married. And they got two wonderful kids. <laughs> but the point is that my mate, uh, you know, went down and stayed with him. We were we were running an army adventure program, and uh, you know, um, they've got both the kids in bed with them. And Marcel says, "Oh, a bit embarrassed that you know you uh, you saw and noted that blue." And I said, "Mate, if you ever get the choice, you get mm. you know offered as parents to get either too much love or too little." But he bloody obvious choice, mate. Yeah, and he said, oh, that's absolutely. A great he said, "That's yeah. a great answer, Blue." Yeah. He said, Tomorrow night, kids, back in Dad's bed. You yeah, know, yeah, exactly. That's great, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, you'll never right. hear people complaining <laughs> that, "Oh, Mum and Dad love me too much." Yeah. You know? yeah, with with yeah. Um, my son, we co-slept with him for uh, I can't maybe the first couple of years. So he was yeah, that's yeah. where he would be every night. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I um you know I, I say to myself he's going to Saint Saint Augustine's down there at Brookvale in uh, Northern Beaches, and my ex-wife's a school teacher. She's you know, I've always surrounded myself as you can see here today with people smarter than me. So I married someone far smarter than me, and uh, she's very academic, very smart girl was my ex-wife. And but uh, the one thing that I I always instill, which I do every time I talk to my son, is just you know. Make sure you're kind to someone today, you know. And he is. He's that person. And yeah. I've had three merit uh, things of Jeremy's, 
you know, where the teachers have written emails to me. And I, I just, I've never had an email written to me from a teacher. Mm. Um, but to say, because I, I couldn't give a rat's ass if he, if he gets an A or whatever, I, I don't even know his grades, to be honest with you. And, uh, but just to say, you know, how, you know, how much of a lovely young man he is mm. and, and he's yeah. kind and he's always out looking for the other guy that's not happy today, you know. I mean, and in education, that's mm. the focus is coming across to those mm. skills because you can find information on the internet. So it's not about what what kids know; it's mm. about can they problem solve? Do they have resilience? Do they can they relate to other people? Can they stay calm under pressure? All of those um, things are what's going to help them to make their way in life. Yeah, real yeah. life skills. Mm. Yeah. Look, um, we'll 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 come back, Blue. Let's. Um so, if you can um, tell me, you've, you've with this influence and, and uh, that you have, and you know, as you say, it, 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 the part of being a part, an enormous part of people's lives, I guess, and, and the fact that uh, you've touched so many people um, with not just uh, you know your presence, but your knowledge and, and how you've um, you know taught them through through the, the through the army. How's things that it, you know, outside of that, with with home life, what that passes down through your family, of course. Um, you know, are you away when you were in the army a lot of the time? What's it? You know. Yeah, I think um, one of the occupations that's the most difficult to hold a marriage together, they say, and it's backed up by the statistics, is in you know the forces of one kind or another, and mm. with that, I include. You know the police and the fire brigade, and certainly all of the, you know, the elements of uh, mm. the ADF um, have uh, you know extremely high divorce rates. And you know, mm. I um, met my wife when she was seventeen, and um, I was eighteen. And you know, remarkably, we're still together and and um, happily married. But you know, um, uh, it hasn't been um, you know all sweetness and light for you know um, every day of it, but. Uh, yeah, it's you know remarkable that uh, that you know we're we're uh, still together and our uh, you know children mm. have come through that experience. You know, it's interesting because our daughter's in uh, London and she went there you know with her husband and his work in 2011. You know, they were going to test it out and see you know how that was going to work out for them. And you know, uh, they're still there. Yeah. You know, and uh, she's she's moved since she you know got to London. So I think um, uh, you know we you know, joke and laugh and tease each other. And even, you know, you'll hear um, army people describing their kids as army brats. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's, it, it's uh, that, that moving around, you know, everything in life has a cost. And, you know, it's got a price. And, you know, my wife was just, just wonderful. You know, if we were, like, I remember getting posted from, uh, you know, from Melbourne to Townsville. And my wife was just... Um, Oh, Townsville, you know, North Queensland, wonderful. You know, we can go and do this and we can go and do that. And I'm thinking, hey, that's great because, you know, she's never been to North Queensland before. She's got no idea. But what she was actually doing, and she articulated it to me, you know, later, is that, you know, it has to be positive. The kids have to be excited about mm. what they're going up to do. And, and I just thought, that's pretty clever, you know, because... I would get up there and I would instantly know people, you know, and as it turned out, there were blokes in the unit that I'd, you know, served in Vietnam with and, you know, like you, um, with some trepidation, you know, go into the mess, you know, for the first time and, 
expecting it to be a wall of strangers. And, of course, you know, there's not. There's Bloggsy and Smithy and Jonesy mm. and, you know, oh, I can't believe Hedo's still alive, you know, and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, here's my wife in a, generally in a married quarter, you know, stuck out in the boonies, you know, mm. and usually married quarters are put in a place because nobody else wants that land that's useless to anything, you know, yeah. except to put, you know, army married quarters. And, um, you know, we always got out and, uh, you know, we'd have exciting weekend trips and we'd go away. So our kids look back on, you know, uh, our postings in my time that could have been, you know, a very negative thing. And, you know, a lot of people do, mm. you know, um, take a negative approach with things that life um, threw at them. But I've been blessed to have a wonderful partner who's been on that, uh, you know, incredibly uh, um, interesting and, you know, formative uh, life with me and, and uh, made it positive for yeah. our children and um, that's what they, you know, today, you know, remember and when they go somewhere, hey, it's going to be great, it's going to be wonderful and we're going to do this and, yeah. you know, I remember um, bushwalking with my, my youngest son one time out, um, uh, you know, in the, in the mountains between Canberra and, uh, and, and New South Wales and it was stinking hot and it was unpleasant and we were getting bitten and carried away by March flies. And, you know, mm. you feel that sense of sort of fatherly guilt with mm. the thing, oh, what have I done here, you know? And, uh, you know, the youngest bloke come bounding up to me, you know, about three o'clock in the afternoon and we're, you know, sweating like Michael Jackson at a preschool picnic and he's getting <laughs> eaten alive by March flies and he just says, oh, Dad, this is so wonderful, it's fantastic, it's great, you know, and I'm thinking, there you go, there you go. He's getting back that positivity that he's got from his mother and, uh, you know, his father where possible and, you know, in an environment where I was really feeling the heat and the flies and the humidity and, you know, the steepness of the terrain, he's bounding along having a wonderful time. So I thought, there you go, you know, that's a life lesson being... um, That's great, ..being, uh, you know... Being demonstrated, you know. I can, I can actually see it. I'm, I'm visualising it. I get some much light in the eye. I mean, I've been there, <laughs> but I can actually see that. It's, that is, it is. And I guess, look, the reason I ask that is because um, it, it, it demands so much of your life, um, but far more greatly, it, it demands so much of your partners when you're in any of the defences. Um, my very good friend, Sam, who's my number one fan of the show, she, both her and her husband, who I play cricket with, um, they're with the Navy. But it demanded just so much of, of their lives. And, of course, then when she was raising the four children and, and, and the tuppet. And, and that can go towards, you know, you know I was talking, sorry, to uh, George Baptus, a good friend of mine I caught up with, and I sold real estate with George for seven years. And I said, yeah, how are you going with it? You know, you still, you still got the hunger. You know, George is 50 this year. And I remember saying, I don't know any... And I was brought up from the age of five, I was going to be a real estate agent. I don't know anyone over the age of 50 that's not starved. Either croaked it or their marriage has had it. And, you know, what the secrets are. How do you do it? So, but to hear from someone like yourself to, to say that and, and Bodie to come in, these are... The things that a lot of people that listen to the show need to have, they're, they're not secrets. They're just little formulas that we've got to have. And they go about many things in life, don't they? Definitely. I think, you know, the key word is, is probably got to be compromise, you know, like mm. with the, you know, the, the husband and the wife and wherever you are in life, whatever age you are, you know, there's always going to be a whole lot of things that you want to be able to get out and do 
and you know, it, particularly like in the adventuring game, like I know a lot of blokes got into mountaineering and it's, you know, very indivi- very individualistic, you know, quite selfish really, very expensive. And I can tell you what, there's a lot of very lonely old men, mm. mountaineers that have just, you know, burned off their families because they were just so, mm. you know, inwardly focused and then they look over their shoulder and the person that they expected to accompany with them on that, you know, uh, travails of life has just bailed and, you know, no mm. longer there. So, you know, um, I, th- I think it's just accept that, uh, you know, you, you do what you can and have to be careful in environments like, you know, high-pressure environments like, you know, the Army Recruit Training Centre and the instructors and the um, ad, um, Adventure Training Wing and RMC and ADFRA and those sort of places, um, they can become very much like, you know, you would have heard of the stages of human development, you know, like, um, you know, the storming and the norming and all those phases where, you know, like you get people arrive on a course and I call it the string bag test, you know, you just pack them all into a string bag and you pick it up and shake it and, you know, some leaders will fall out and, and then you've got to work with what sort of remains in the bag and, you know, make that work going forward on the course. And With a lot of people, and it really starts to annoy me, you know, they, it's all about what they've done and where they've been and what peak they've been up and what river they've run and what climb they've done. And, you know, like very few people really care outside of that esoteric little group about that. It's more, you know... Um, you know, when you take off your shirt of a night to have a shower, what's really underneath that shirt? You know, what kind of person is that? Mm. So if you take away that um, that competition, so, you know, people would always say to me, so what have you done, Blue? Where have you climbed? And I say, you know what? I've done um, a little bit more than some, but not as much as a lot of others, you know, and that will always be the case. And you'll get someone that can, you know, devote their life to paddling every river there is and every climb face there is, but there will be someone will have just come back from a trip to the Pamas and a part of the world that was previously closed off, like Kazakhstan or somewhere, and they'll say, oh, but did you get to that crag at the back of, you know, this unpronounceable village? And they'll say, no, I never quite got there. And the other person will sit back, you know, fat, dumb and happy and think, well, you know, I gotcha. But, you know, you just got to see life as not gotcha moments, as as sharing and just say, well, you know, here we are, um, you know, let's go adventuring together and let's enjoy the environment and let's, you know, what we go and do tomorrow, you know, that's a special day that no one can take of us. It's something we've done together. And really, you know, in terms of that, um, you know, competitive side of it, you know, who cares? Mm. Just, you know, have some fun with what you're doing. And I often used to say to people, you know, we'd go out to places like, you know, Blackheath and Mount Vic and, you know, we'd sit with our feet over the edge and on a safety line. Mm. And, uh, you know, you'd just be having your lunch and a brew from your thermos and you're looking down on the Gross Valley or the Jamison or the Megalong or somewhere and you just think, you know, just take that moment to reflect, you know, how good is this? Mm. And, Absolutely. you know, I'd, I'd say to these people, you know, like particularly in the Army, on the courses and on the activities and stuff, you know, um, just reflect that we're getting paid to do this. Yeah. And not only that, you know, we're getting an extra allowance like field allowance or rations allowance you know, that's, this is a pretty good position to be in, you know. And um, I know that that activity, that kind of mindset has rubbed off on many others because, you know, I'll, I'll go somewhere and I'll see this little group just sitting down, you know, a quite reflective part of the day where, you know, in, instead of coming back to the barracks and, you know, having a shower and a beer and, and then trying to have a, a debrief after that, always do it in the environment and, you know, literally sit down over the cliff edge because, you know... A rock face in particular is such a metaphor for life and I've mm. taken Bodhi out abseiling and climbing and seen him develop over the years in that space um, 
as well, you know, like it, it, there's real transference from the rock face to where you are in your life and what you can call that rock face and whether you get up it or down it or along it or, you know, um, there's yeah, so much to take away. But just, you know, literally sitting on the edge of a cliff with your legs over a thousand foot drop strapped into a safety line, just reflecting on how fortunate we are to be in that environment. Yeah. It kind of trumps whether someone's come back from some unpronounceable crag in Kazakhstan mm. because, you know, here you are in the moment and, you know, nobody's guaranteed, you know, tomorrow. Tomorrow is a privilege mm. that we may not have and you just think how good is it where we are now Present. today and it's something that goes in our logbook but more to, to the point it's something that we can remember. And, I, you know, I'd say that if they were students on a course, um, your mission now is to, you know, take this like a you know, like the disciple sense going out into the wilderness and try and do what I've done and give this experience back to other people, mm. which has, you know, kind of been my focus all along. Mm. Yeah, no, well said. And, um, yeah, jumping in a little bit there, um, about, um, you know, uh, suicide among um, vets um, in Australia, the government has just appointed a commissioner um, because that, there is a real concern about the number of vet, uh, or vets that um, mm. take their own lives. And um, there, in the United States, I was reading a report that um, in the 10 years, 60,000 um, vets in the US um, forces have taken their lives uh, which exceeds the number of dead um, from the conflict in Vietnam between 1955 and 1975. Um, Phenomenal. Mm. Unbe- unbelievable. So, 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 so the, the question starts to actually sort of kind of say, so why, uh, something about disposable, you know, it's about the killing fields and the Somme, mm. um, the disposability of man, the disposability of women and communities and that sort of stuff. Like in, in some ways, you know, we... we, we we haven't really grasped the essentials of leadership. I think one of the things that's coming out for me in our discussion this morning is something about leadership. And when Blue so eloquently talked about the young Aboriginal girl that came forward Mm. and she said, trust the process and trust trust the leadership that we've got in in Blue, that was was true leadership. And Mm. I think, if anything, um, you know, even the recent fires and the and the drought and and um, you know that there's been a death of leadership that has that could can can bring so so I want to look at a cultural level so um, how we might start to respond to or start to shape a discourse about developing leadership and of course it's it's about leadership in um, in men and in in women of course um, and um, and in our young people that that should really be our focus because it's out of that leadership new ideas um, and the and technology can be integrated sort mm-hmm. of powerfully so that we actually create lo- lives that are meaningful mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm interested in how we reflect on what it is that we're doing so that we derive the lessons from the reflection. And if we cannot find a way of creating reflective models um, so that we can learn something, then the experiencing is actually relatively valueless. Mm. 
it actually is just an ongoing tragedy. So these uh, reflective sort of processes, I think, are crucial. And partly this program, for me, is always an opportunity to invite the listeners and invite our communities to reflect on process, to reflect on experience and derive lessons from it. And out of that understanding becomes something different. Mm. And I think Blue's story is about a man who has been intuitively understood something about reflecting on the experience as he has seen it. Mm. And out of that, mm. growing, um, you know, a very powerful toolkit. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, a great, great word to finish, toolkit, I think. Because, you know, you're not invincible, are you, Blue? No, definitely not. You know, to me, like, when I come back from uh, Vietnam, one of the blokes I, I, I work with said something that stuck with me forever. And he said, you know, um, you've got to be nice to yourself, Blue. You've got to, you know, assimilate yourself back into the community because he said, I can tell you from a, uh, a, the public's point of view, he said, a soldier's like a Christmas tree. It'll be decorated, then it'll be thrown away. Mm-hmm. And that's so true, you know. And it, when you look at in the US and... Um, to a lesser extent in Australia as well, um, you know, uh, returned service people make up a significant proportion of the uh, um, the homeless, and a lot of that, you know, is um, is uh, that uh, drifting. And I and I think at the end of the day, you know, like it's not. I can't add anything that's really all that profound to that discussion, except that it's just essential that we, you know, look. The worst thing you can do, which you hear of some people doing is, you know, they'll, they'll come back from, you know, Vietnam or Rwanda or Timor or Iraq or Afghanistan and they'll go and buy a remote, you know, five-acre property somewhere. That's just the worst possible thing you can do, you know. Um, no man's an island, you know. We need, we, need to stay, yeah. we, we need to stay connected. You know, the unit that I was in, 161 Ricky Flight in Nui Dat in Vietnam, um, we, we meet quite often and we have reunions. You know, the interesting thing is to a person, and this is because tr- I've discussed it with a lot of other Vietnam vets as well, all of the reunions are organised by uh, blokes that served as national servicemen because, you know, they came in and, you know, we, you know as regulars we'd, you know, stir them up and tease them, but they were, you know, great mates and we fought alongside them and trusted our lives to them and... You know, we used to say that, you know, they were still shaving with a dry towel and, you know, don't bother putting your bag down, mate, because you're going to be out the door in the next five minutes anyway because they only did two years. But, um, you know, at least like when I come back from Vietnam, you know, I had, had leave and I'd got married before I went over and then, you know, went back to my unit and there's, you know, Blogsy and Smithy and Hendo and Jonesy. But the Nashos, you know, um, went back virtually on their own. You know, they arrived in Australia on the Freedom Bird on a Thursday night, you know, took some leave. They were back at work you know, as a panel bed or something, completely on their own. Mm. And with that, mm. you know, horrible experience of Vietnam, they just literally looked in the mirror and thought, well, you know... What is there? What's, what's going on there? there? You know, oh, I can always remember. It's funny how, you know, we relate to sound. It's good we got Nicky. Mm. Um, I remember having, you know, a cup mm. of tea and a beer with, you know, my in-laws at Hurstville before I went to Vietnam. And around um, Hurstville, you used to hear these pigeons, you know, they go, look at the cool, look at the cool, look at the cool. And I came back, you know, and I was only, like, you know, got back on a Thursday night, you know, and Friday morning, you know, a cup of tea with the, the in-laws at Hurstville and here are those same bloody pigeons. And I just thought, you know, what's happened in the last 12 months and one week of my life, you know, with the whole Vietnam experience? And it's just that, um, you know, the, the, you know, the banality of existence to hear those pigeons 
as if nothing what I'd seen and heard and experienced in that 12 months and one week was ever real because, you know, it could have been the same bloody pair of pigeons still cooing, <laughs> you know, a year and a week later and it just really hit me, you know, that, um, that, uh, that almost like, you know, somebody said about the Holocaust, you know, it was the, the banality of evil, you know, and it's that kind of, um, you know, everyday experience of life with hearing these couple of cooing pigeons before I went over and then they were still there, you know, when I, when I came back and... So I, I think at its core from what, you know, the question that, you know, the issue that Bodhi was raising is that, you know, whatever you do, you know, and anyone that's listening out there, you've got to stay connected. You've got to be in groups. You know, I play badminton. I'm in the canyoning organisation. I play music in a band, you know. I'm a lot of things to a lot of people and I do a lot of things and I'm in a lot of organisations, you know. Like, you've really just got to stay connected so that, you know, if you don't turn up somewhere, someone's going to say... You know, oh, where's Blue? How's he travelling? He didn't turn up at Batty and he wasn't here last week either, you know, and organised a canyon trip and I didn't hear from him, you know. and um, uh, He missed last two weeks of band rehearsal, you know, but if you don't do any of those things and you're not involved in anything, um, you know, because I, I always think as well, society will care about you for a while to an extent, but if you want to cut yourself off after a while, society will let you isolate yourself. So if you want to put yourself under a rock somewhere in the middle of a five-acre block in Bulamakanka, mm. ultimately society will say, well, if that's what you want to do, mate, go out there and do it. Mm. And, you know, I think that's, that's really dangerous. If you cut yourself off and you isolate yourself and you don't recognise that we are a herd animal and, yeah. you know, we need each other, we need each other, you know, and people lament. You know, you, know, you look at the number of um, um, footballers even in, you know, that backward code where they got to throw yeah. the ball back behind them. Don't you um, dare say rugby union. When they, <laughs> when, they, uh, when they quit, they miss that teamship, you know. They, they miss the mateship. They miss, you know, the, the rigours and the discipline of, um, you know, performing in a team. And one of the most dangerous things they can do is, you know, just cut their mates away and, um, you know, not go and watch them and not go and have a couple of lagers with them and, and just, you know... Um, lose that connection and isolate yourself from them because that is an extremely dangerous thing to do. And you know, mm. we've mm. we've just got to keep an eye on people. And I think this uh, you know this are you okay movement is yeah. just brilliant for that. You know, it can be yeah. perceived as a bit shallow, but you know, at least it's a start. And you never yeah. know when, as I found myself, um, just at some random moment, if you ask about someone's welfare, you know, you might just strike the chord um, that could make the difference between them, you know, staying connected or just, you know, cutting themselves away. Yeah. Because it, it is easy, and as someone that lives with depression myself, um, you know, on Saturday night I was talking to a number of people and, and you know, they said they'd heard the story of me and, and whatnot. And I guess, you know, that that sense of belonging and... and you know, to a, a group or, a, a, you know, a, a, the community, whatever it may be, the are you okay, going for that walk and talk, is, mm. it is so important. It, it's helped me to get up, get out, feel like more than anything the word for me is purpose. Um, whereas I didn't feel that before. I, I guess, when, you know, five years ago I, I, I more or less felt a burden. Um, that's why I, I separated myself. Uh, I didn't return calls. I didn't... I mean, I've got a friend of mine who I, I went to Sydney with and he was putting his home on the market and everyone's saying he's not returning any calls. He's going through a divorce and has to sell his home. 
And, you know, he's in an extremely acute state. Mm. So these guys, they all came around. 13, 13 guys, they came around and, you know, I won't say who their names are. Mm. But they're within a stone's throw. And I was, mm. they're like, oh, he's not returning. I said, Why? mate, knock on his door. Go, go there, <laughs> knock on his door. He's, he says, I drive past his cars there, so I know he's home. <laughs> knock on his door. He's not answering the phone. It's, he doesn't want to deal with the outside world. Mm. But you can lead that horse to water so much as you say. Mm. But yeah. it's, it's getting that forward step to feel like you're having that sense of purpose. And as you say, as you were imagining, that sense of kindness, um, you know, ask, is there some element of truth and being helpful? True? These are all, uh, you know, awesome tools. Awesome. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's very interesting because I'm actually watching a mate go through this at the moment, uh, I've got to be careful to give away here because he might be identified because he's such a recognisable character about my vintage. Um, uh, his wife is uh, overseas uh, living with her mother because he's quote-unquote, she's decided that she wants to go and um, live with her sister and her mother because she needs to be there when her mother dies and she won't be in Australia. So, you know, mm. he's my mate here on his own. And he was telling me the other day, it's quite interesting actually when it can go to almost the other extreme, you know, like a, you know, maybe a 31-year-old son still sharing a bed with you, you know. But yeah. um, he said that his uh, brothers have effectively, he's got four brothers and they're all very close, they pretty much got him on suicide watch, you know, and he says, I can hardly have a meal at home on my own without three of my brothers. What do you do today? Yeah, what, are you doing <laughs> what are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> you know? And he said, look, I'm in running clubs, I'm active, uh-uh. I'm fit, I'm in car restoring clubs, you know, I do... I do hundreds of things. I'm okay. Look, I'm yeah. really okay. I'm not lonely. Yeah. You know, he said tomorrow morning I'm going running with, you know, Bloggsy and Smithy and Jonesy yeah. and I'm going to the car club and, <laughs> you know, we're going out to Cara to show off our, you know, yeah. our, our cars. But he said his brothers just won't have it. He said, no, 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 mate, we've got you on suicide watch. We're watching you. We're listening to you. And he just says, I'm being smothered here. But he said, it's great. He said, it's great. You know, He's laughing. If it, up, it was, yeah. if oh, it was 100% good. the other way and, you know, his brothers, brothers didn't give two, you know, fishies yeah. about him, he'd be saying, oh, well, thanks very much. You know, what kind of a family is this? But yeah. it's really, he's yeah. being actually smothered with love, you know, yeah. by these males, yeah. these strong um, brothers, you know, the males in his family. And they've just, you know... Um, fully enveloped him. And he said, No, I'm okay. I'm really okay. But, you know, I really <laughs> love this and thanks. And by the way, I will come around for dinner tomorrow night. But yeah, I was quite okay on my own, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's that, uh, you know, connectedness. It's just, you know, absolutely priceless and yeah. critical. No matter what stage of your life you're going through and, uh, you know, where you are in it. Um, mm. If you're not involved with something, then, you know, mm. read the local paper and talk to some people. Just get yourself involved in life. It's um, funny, yeah. Yeah. Um, You've got to grasp life and ride it to the ground like a dying emu. There's a great book uh, by Johan Hari called Lost Connections and he was a, a young uh, 15-year-old who had a de- depressive episode, went to the uh, doctors and they prescribed medication and um, after about 10 years of um, changing meds and getting uh, starting off at a low dose, which worked for a while and then having to increase the dose until he was on the top level, he uh, thought... Uh, uh, why is this happening? Uh, 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 nothing seems to be changing. So it drove him to actually do a lot of research and out of that research came his book called Lost Connections and basically he was looking at the way that we isolate um, mm. in the end and have insufficient support systems around us um, in order to be able to sort of have a sense of our herd mm. um, reality as, as Blue is uh, talking about there. 
And I think that um, in PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, detachment is one of the signs of someone who's not travelling that well. So when they get by the half-acre block or five-acre block, mm. and yeah, immediately um, you know that they haven't been debriefed sufficiently from their experience, whatever it is. Mm. And I think this um, uh, issue of debriefing, which uh, Blue was alluding to, that whenever he does a climb or an abseil or a training session with people, he, he will spend time saying, what was that for you? Um, I noticed at this point that something was happening for you. Can we actually explore that? So mm. it becomes a teaching moment mm. and it becomes a learning moment. Mm. And, and Nick, you might want to jump in here too because it's those learning or teaching moments that is also a quality of leadership. Um, and I think that that is crucial that we, that we integrate experience so it doesn't become a flashback or become a, uh, a ruminative problem that, uh, where there is no resolution. If you're yeah. trying to deal with something by yourself, there is never a resolution. Resolution comes from the accidental contact or the professional contact or someone who says, let's talk about that, let's, let's yeah. try and understand that. Um, and in, in that um, collective noun, the we... Um, that that one can become part of the journey again of mm. life with others. So th this is crucial. Um, look, I'm, the, the army is, uh, is so interesting. I'm, James Hillman writes a book called um, uh, um, The Madness of War. Um, and as a species, we haven't, you know, we spend more on armaments and war than we do on any other activity um, so as a species, we haven't really grown up with our need to struggle um, and to be red and tooth of claw. So if anything is emerging out of um, our becoming, it is the question of, of how do we coexist without the old models of coexistence. Um, and our hero and our role modelling has been on competition and on... Mm. Um, a, a, a sort of an authority over others mm. and until we sort of really start to have those conversations increasingly um, you know we, we are stuck in an old model so um, I'm always interested in the dialogue um, that steps us away uh, from um, what we've done for the last 2,000 years um, and, um, and step into the collective um, we um, and the exploration together. So um, yeah, I mean, connecting that back to what we were talking about—those the personal skills that people need for work. Mm. So much of the education system is set up around I got this mark and I beat these mm. people, and and the idea of competition when you bring it into the workplace—it just doesn't have any place mm. there. Mm. It's if we're competing against each other, then we're not going to achieve what we're setting mm. out to achieve. Mm. There was a great story come out of the States that uh, apparently in the final year of medicine in a, in a particular school where these um, uh, trainee doctors had been for the last five years, one of the questions on the sheet that these uh, doctors had to answer was, I thought it was fantastic, um, what's the cleaner's name <laughs> who's been cleaning these uh, uh, training environments <laughs> you've been in for the last five years? Where does she live? What's her name? Where does she live? And how many children does she have? And what do those children do? And that question was actually worth marks. And I just thought, that is absolutely brilliant. That's, that's because the people who are meant to develop, you know, a bedside manner. And, you know, 
some of the trainees knew but a lot didn't mm. and it just even if they failed that question in inverted commas well like Bodie was saying you know the way the way I debrief you 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 make people learn the lessons of life almost in a, a sense whether they want to learn them or not yeah. and what you would hope that would come out of that and you know I don't know because I didn't speak to the people who wrote that paper was it would be like a wake-up call for those people who are about to go out and actually practice medicine for real in the world. Mm. You know, there's some stuff going on around me that I need to know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they're in that, you know, holding people's hands while they die game, you know, with the family. They, if, if they're not about learning those sort of things, then they better get in there and start expanding their um, headspace so mm. that they do, you Broad, know, start yeah. to broaden the way they think about life. And I just thought that was, uh, mm. you know, incredibly brilliant. One of the things I would often use in, in my debriefing thing from what Bodie was talking about, you know, I'd draw analogies that um, people can get some sense out of. I'd say, you know, particularly if I know I've got a, you know, a group that is an armoured corps group at a particularly hard time um, in Afghanistan, as did one of the battalions that a couple of good mates of mine were in. So I knew the audience that I was talking to and I raised the analogy, you know, when they came back to, um, you know, that... Um, uh, tin of paint that you store in the garage, you know, and it's on the floor of the garage and the garage isn't heated or cooled or insulated. It's just facing all the elements and, you know, when you need to touch something up like a window with that tin of paint, when you release the lid, it's going to, you know, um, give off, you know, some pressure and it's a good thing to have opened it and even if you have to break that skin and get down to what's underneath it and stir it up and it might be painful for the paint, it probably is, it's a very worthwhile process because then you're giving that tin of paint some purpose and you're going to, you know, recoat the front windows and then you're going to walk into the house and say, how good is that? How good does that look? You put put the lid back on that paint tin and I would say to you, if you leave that where it's exposed to heating and cooling, you know, sooner or later the top of that can may well blow off. Yeah. You know, so even if it's painful and even if it causes you grief, Mm. sometimes you've got to metaphorically, you know, with this toolkit we talk about, Take the lid off that um, paint. There'll be a skin formed on it. You know, as um, Joseph Stalin famously said, you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. Mm. Cut away, break through that skin, stir up the paint, use it for its purpose and then store it away. But don't put it down the back of the shed. You know, you're going to need that again Mm. because, okay, your front windows look fine now, but how are the side and the back? How are they looking, Mm. you know? You've you've got to keep revisiting that. So don't let yourself become like that uh, tin of paint and isolate yourself and put yourself somewhere where... Um, nobody knows that you need that kind of regular, um, you know, attention and sometimes stirring up things that are quite painful, mm. subject yourself to that because, you know, there will be some good that comes out of it at the back end. You know, we um, flipped a girl uh, on a raft one time and she swam with me under a log and it was actually quite dangerous and we both got through it. And I saw her about 10 days later at the helicopter school at Fairburn and she said, oh, uh, I keep seeing it, I keep seeing it. I said, well, mate, it was only six days ago. It's a good thing because Mm. that's your brain trying to flush out that unpleasant memory and you've got to think if it happens to you tonight, that's one less time you're going to see it and there'll be a time when you won't see that anymore and your brain will have accepted that you're under great stress and I said, I'll tell you what, I'm seeing it every night as well, mate. So, you know, you're not alone and yeah. that's crucial as well. And start feeding you know, to the positive. People yeah. have to see that, you know, they're not undergoing this journey um, of life under stress on their own and that, you know, if you see it tonight, you just think, well, it's, One less. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to see it again and then there's going to be a time when I won't see that nightmare of being swept under those logs again and uh, 
I'll come through it at the other side and I'll be swept downstream and I'll just then say, you know, if that river is a metaphor for life, okay, what else are you going to throw at me? Bring it on. I've coped with that and now I'm going to be able to cope with this. And, um, you know, fair enough, I saw her about two weeks later and uh, she was smiling and skipping and, you know, getting around with her mates. And I didn't have to ask her. I could just see that she'd come through it. But, you know, she was in a bad way and just thought that she's going to spend the rest of her life seeing herself drown in this river and... uh, you know, pulled through it and I don't know what, you know, became of her later but I just know that that particular facet of her life, the way I talked to her about it, um, whatever else happens to her, she's going to take as a positive and not a negative yeah. and I think that's key to a lot of um, people who have had stressful experiences um, presented honestly in a way that, you know, you remind them that their brain will do things with them that won't be pleasant at first they look at it in a positive light, they will come through it, you know, yeah. there will be a better day. And as you and, say, it's, and that's you feed into the positive. It's, it's rewiring the brain and, and accepting that that negative is going to come. But if the positive is there, you've got to really start to feed that, you know, grasp it, mm-hmm. um, get a hold of it and say, you know, this is, that's the great thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting that dream tonight. Mm-hmm. You know, it might come again. Hopefully tonight it doesn't. And, and you use so many metaphors, Blue, um, it's perfect. I, you know, I've listened and learned so much from you. Um, we're almost out of time, but uh, there's, there's a, an enormous amount, uh, I guess, um, for people that are going to be listening back to this as a podcast. I ask that um, you pass this on to your family and your friends because I, I think it's perhaps the most informative um, uh, show we've had that I can remember. Um, you know, and, and I, I guess in the, in the last five minutes, what you're saying is, you know, I, I just, I wanted to say this was because I have chronic pain and I don't like to talk about it to people because I, I just don't think other people would like to hear about my pain. So I, I've joined a chronic pain group. Mm. So, you know, and you know what I, I think about groups sometimes. I think it's, you know, you come out of there with a wet rug on your shoulder carrying other people's problems. But I, I don't think it's a bad thing. And, you know, it's a good idea and, and, and that's something that you were just talking about, Blue. Um, so, and, and remember, you know, being kind to yourself is the most important thing. And if you see someone that, that is um, perhaps different and at the very beginning of this um, episode you said that you pick up on, on, on little things that are changes that you may have and you say, okay, that person I know. We, if you see that, then we each have a responsibility to do something. Yeah. And as I was saying, when I was talking about my friend a moment ago, if, it, if, if that responsibility may be to give them a call and they don't answer, then go and say day, go around there. You find it a lot better. You know, we've all got someone here that we all know, actually, um, and hasn't answered the phone, I'll just go around there, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, and at first I don't think he likes the fact that I'm there, but he lets me in. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's, it's, you do that. Sometimes I think when we walk down the street, I'm always that guy that says hello down at the dog park and people look at me like I'm alien sometimes. No, I love your expressiveness. You know, you've yeah. got to do it. Yeah. Can I just finish off with sure. a funny little story? Yeah. 
Lou and me sort of uh, hooked up a game of badminton up at the Aquatic Centre um, in, in Katoomba. And, um, you know, we put the poles in and put, and put the net across and, uh, and we started uh, sort of, you know, firing, firing up at the shuttle. And uh, there was a guy who was an electrician. He was changing the light bulbs in the, um, in the courts um, and he's on a, a scaffold and going up and down. Light bulb moment. Light bulb moment, <laughs> yeah. And, he, and um, you know, and of course, uh, Blue and I are very competitive. We've, we've got a fifth... Very competitive, and, but we've got a very similar game, um, and so always the the games are close, and they seesaw. Sometimes he wins, and fuck it. Oops, um, sometimes I. Uh, oops, sometimes I win. But anyway, um, the guy after watching for about five minutes said, "Ah." Oh, I can't do this. You guys are just too too full on because mm. there's lots of noise and sounds and that sort of stuff. Mm. And Blue says, "What's wrong with you?" He said, "That was just a warm up. We haven't even started playing a game yet." That's <laughs> 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 all right. Uh, Blue, mate, thank you. We're going to have um, a couple of weeks break now from the men's mental health show. I'm finally going to pick up my caravan, which I've been waiting for four, uh, 14 months. Mm. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on, mate. It's meant a hell of a lot um, to me. I know also perhaps yeah. to Nick and Bodie, but um, yeah. I, I know that the outcome of this show is, is going to have a, a serious knock-on effect um, and, and your wisdom is, um, you know, and, and the advice that, you know, I've, I've, I've had goosebumps the entire show, seriously. You talk about the hairs on the back of your neck. If I had hairs, I'd be up, but thanks, mate. Will you come on again? Yeah, Would you do that for yeah, us? Because yeah. I have to, I'm sorry, I'm not, I, I could possibly go another 15 minutes, but yeah. I just had an urgent call, I've got to get away. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, a quick uh, send-off to the sponsors, of course, uh, Mounties Group, uh, to my good mate Dale, thanks, mate. Uh, wouldn't be a bad one to get the staff down there at Mounties Group, I think there's about 2,000 of them. Uh, perhaps uh, make it uh, compulsory to listen to this episode. <laughs> um, and also to Noel Pope. Uh, if you or anyone you know may want uh, to come on the show and share your story or perhaps you know someone that may have something to contribute, not just towards men's mental health, towards mental health in general, mm. perhaps give me a call 0404 077 And, of course, um, uh, Bodie, our psychotherapist, you can contact Bodie on 0416... 0424-416-969. Oh, uh, there we go. And Nick, we're going to see you in a month's time at the Folk Festival, yep, of course. We mention that every week. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, so cool. that should be good. Do you want to take us out? Yeah, I'll ta- um, so I'll, I'll um, finish with the song Bird that I've played a couple of times. There have been lots of analogies floating around, and I guess about kindness. And just quickly, so I was teaching at Lithgow High, and I finished the day, and I was about to lock the building down and go home, and there was a magpie that was in the corridor, and I thought, well last point of business is get the magpie out of the corridor, which... Um, so I sort of spent 15 minutes kind of encouraging it and gently getting it to go outside and, and sort of getting... After work, I was sort of thinking about the way I had to encourage the bird out of the hall was very much what education is about, sort of really encouraging kids to open up and, and that real softness of being with the kids rather than that, you do this and that do that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so this is a song called Bird. bird inside his angry words There's a bird inside his pain There's a bird that makes him run away Brings him back again 
Beautiful, Nick. Fantastic. Thanks very much. Thank what a Goodbye. night to finish off.